after we have a recording of this to send to you later. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living Astrology with Janet Hickox. As you can see this morning, I'm not alone. I'm actually online. My husband didn't do anything wild. So we have Pia and Colin with us this morning to help us talk, help us learn more about the Pleiadian Earth Energy Calendar. And oh, raise your cup of coffee or tea if you have it. Sit back and let's chat, shall we? We also have the full moon to talk about. I got to see if I can share this. I, I probably can't find it right away, but I took the most spectacular picture this morning, you guys, of the full moon or the almost full moon uh, from my front deck. I get up about 6, 6.15 in the morning. And so my, my husband's out there yelling, Janet, you got to see the moon. And I went, yeah, I got to see the moon because we are always so cloud ridden. You know, we don't always get to see it. So I had to take the opportunity. And I went outside and it was so beautiful. It almost looked like the sun. You could even see that because it was so bright, it was causing the sky to look a little blue. This is on the Western horizon. The sun is coming up on the Eastern horizon. It hadn't even come up yet. It was so beautiful. I was so inspired. It just went, ah, oh, this is why we so appreciate the, the sky here in the Pacific Northwest, because when it parts, we get to see some of the most spectacular things. I'll see if I can get that picture up to share with you guys later. Uh, so tell us, how are you two doing? We're moving right through the energies like the rest of the world is. <laughs> Sailing? Yes. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean it's not rocky sometimes, but we're, we're coping and managing with the energies that are presenting themselves. Very good. Very good. Uh, I, I guess that's, you know, the best that we can do. And actually, I've, I've been thinking that um, the energies have been actually very interesting. In some days, they, they see, it seems to be high and up. And the next day, it might feel like it's a little more, uh, not, not necessarily dragging, but it seems like some things keep bubbling up you know, from the depths like fears or, or uh, I, I was talking to people all week long who were having uh, instances of things coming back into their lives that uh, they thought they had been done with, right? That this was something that they were done, that the experience was done, I'm not doing this anymore. And then some um, aspect of it comes back up. It sounds like maybe healing. What do you guys think? Well, we've been hearing the same thing from people we've been with. Um, <laughs> ahead, it, it seems like a lot of people are experiencing this phenomenon and people will swear that they are finished, that that shadow has been taken care of. They're moving on to, to whatever the next opportunity or the next, the next plateau of, of learning uh -huh. And all of a sudden, on any given day, just as you said, something creeps up and it's like, wait a minute, I thought I had completely cleared and cleaned that aspect of me. And guess what? Apparently, maybe we didn't do exactly the, the cleanest job we <laughs> thought we were doing. There was that one speck over there in the corner and, <laughs> and the universe wants you to clean it. <laughs> That's, and, and some, you know, in some cases it was, you know, tragedies and things like that. This uh, one person I was speaking to had multiple big, hard hitting things happen over the last few years. And this whole week, he said he felt like he was reliving every one of them. And I couldn't even find an aspect that would really make that happen. So to me, 
when I see that where there's not something that immediately jumps out at me, that it feels more like it's a collective deal, that there's possibly an evolutionary thing that's happening. Uh, any hints from the calendar as to what that might be? Well, I think that we're in a place right now. We started a new 13-day period on Wednesday, and it's one of my favorite 13-day periods. It's remembering energy, which focuses upon peaceful presentation of energy, peacefulness. And I think that what's happening is we're learning to focus upon the culmination of opposites, how to bring them together in harmony. So I think part of what's coming up is, I don't want that anymore. I want this. And so it has to come together in a place in the middle to work with it. So I absolutely think that that's part of what this is. We're looking for the connection point of all opposites because that's where harmony is. And it's in mm. that point that we really remember who we are. So I think it's in the remembering who we are, we get to the next level of evolution. So I think the calendar does speak to what these stories are reporting. Yeah, that and makes perfect sense. Sorry, go ahead. And, and, and it's possible that, that although many of us would say this this has been going on, these, these old shadows coming up have been resurfacing, but during this period of remembering, it seems auspicious that we remember these little pieces that, that as we joked about a few minutes ago, we thought we had cleaned up and cleared up, but we're actually remembering maybe other aspects of those same energies or those same topics, and they are burbling up during this remembering period. Or maybe it's even that they're presenting symbols to us saying, look how we can do it differently. So the pieces oh. come up, be able to give us an idea of to evolve, you do it differently. You don't do it the same old way. You know, that makes sense too. And I got to tell you, there have been two different people this week that have told me about dreams that they had that were horrible, like nightmarish scenes in the, in the, in the dream uh, filled with different symbols, whether it was animals, whether it was something earthly or something from their past that have all been coming up. So that makes sense too, that some people might not be experiencing it in, uh, you know, in their day life, but maybe they're experiencing it in their dream state. Yeah. One Absolutely. way or another, we're going to remember. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Right. Okay. So Colin and uh, Pia and I were having a conversation before we started this morning about time and uh, uh, cycles, I think is, is sort of how we could view that. Colin, you want to tell us a little bit about what you were sharing with me in terms of energy versus time? Sure. Yeah. I've just, I've just been thinking lately about things we do every day, um, what, what we would call normal activities we do things on the clock because we've been trained to do things. We go to work at a certain time. Maybe going to work at that time isn't the best for us. Maybe, maybe our energy doesn't match that punching of the clock exactly when everybody is supposed to do that. And maybe during the lockdowns and the troubles we've been having lately worldwide, so many people are working at home. And I think they're able to manage their time differently than when they were supposed to be at the office or at the store or wherever they were working. And I think that's given people a chance to really feel into when is their best time 
energetically to be doing what they're doing. That's just one, one little example. But I was thinking about teenagers. Teenagers are forced to get up early in the morning to go to school. And the teenage body, as filled with hormones as it is, doesn't do very well early in the morning yet. Traditionally, they have to get up at six or seven o'clock in the morning to be ready to go to school, depending on where they're going, what country or what kind of school, yeah. quite early in the morning. And there are lots of studies showing that that kids just don't do that well early in the morning. So if schools could start later in the day, I don't mean way late in the afternoon, but maybe at 10 o'clock instead of eight o'clock or nine o'clock and give those kids the advantage to get the sleep and the rest they need. And then they will be clearer and way more functional yeah. in order to do what they need to do. People can't learn if they're foggy. People can't learn if if they're out of balance. And I just think that's one thing that maybe our educational system isn't very good at. And the point of all this is that all of this is scheduled according to an artificial timing system called the Gregorian calendar and the clock. And they don't match nature at all. Nature is completely different. The energy yeah. shift in our system, the energy shift at sunset, which is a natural time for energies to change not at some arbitrarily time like 12 midnight. It's, it's just not in harmony with life. And, and I, have a, I have a personal experience. What, do you have a thought, Janet? Well, I was just thinking, I, I read an article sometime somewhere that out of the uh, metaphysical realm, but where uh, psychologists and, and doctors and, and uh, school represent, rep representatives were even saying the same thing. I mean, they push kids to come in much earlier and it's even been demonstrated that the younger kids do better in the earlier part of the day, but the teenagers are almost forced to start school an hour ahead of the younger kids, which is, uh, you know, at odds with what their their natural timing cycles are. Exactly, little little kids in primary school are raring to go. Their their body clock, because they're not in that super growth time that the teenage group is, they're ready to to learn, to play, to do everything. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I have a personal I have a personal experience with this. Do you want to say something? I was just going to say all of this more and more is pointing towards we need to get away from this artificial structure of timing because it's not real and it's restricting us and controlling us. Go ahead with your story, Colin. Well, I have a personal experience. Um, when I was a kid, I'm a baby boomer. And in, in the state that I grew up in, in the, in the early 1950s, when I was in school, there were too many baby boomers. There weren't enough teachers and there weren't enough school rooms to accommodate all the kids that were ready to go to school. And the, the school system that I was in, this was in California, it was in LA County, which was a very, very progressive system uh -huh. compared to the rest of the country. Yeah. They decided that they were gonna split up school time for kids because there just wasn't enough time or teachers to handle it. So what they did was they made half of the kids go to school from eight o'clock until noon. And the other half went from noon to four o'clock. And we did this for several years. I can't remember how many, two or three years in a row. And I remember when I was in junior high, 
when I didn't have to get up early in the morning and I started at noon, man, I did a way better job in school. It was much easier. Oh. It was more fun. So I know personally that, that that theory actually is real and it and it would work if it were implemented. So that was mm. a great experience for me. And I could I could hardly wait to be called the next year, whether I was going to be the early group or the late group. And they tried to do it evenly. And I think I was able to go on the later group two years, every other year. And I loved those years in school because it was a way better productive, much more interesting time for me. More in your time. Exactly. In, in your rhythm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Where did you go to school? Uh, I went to school in LA County in a place called Palos Verdes. Oh my gosh. I grew up there. <laughs> I, I went to Long Beach schools. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a goosebump. That's a goosebump. Yeah. I had no idea you were from California. Yep. <laughs> yep. I lived in Lakewood and uh, because of busing at the time, they were still doing the integration thing, right? Where, so I was bused from Lakewood into North Long Beach uh, to go to school. And when I was in kindergarten, we did that split where some kids went from eight to noon and then from noon to uh, 3.30, I think it was. And I remember being in the morning class and I thrived in the morning because my rhythm is I get up early. I was born early in the morning. So uh, it felt right for me when they tried to put me in the afternoon later in the year, I was like, no. And I remember as a five-year-old going, no, I don't want to go in the afternoon. I want to go now. I'm excited now. Um, so it makes it, sense. It, it, it's real. I mean, it really does. Yeah. When we look at systems that don't work, they, they could be so much better if, if the people organizing all of these things would just realize that, that what was designed years and years and years ago really doesn't work. And that's, yeah. that's, that's it. Um, and then, and, and, and if we were all allowed to follow our own rhythms, we wouldn't be grumpy with each other either because we'd be <laughs> in harmony with our own rhythms and we wouldn't be grumpy with other people because that's what happens when you're forced and controlled into an artificial system. You get irritable. Right, right. And yeah. then, of course, it sets us up for all kinds of either psychological issues or actual physical symptoms of yeah. fatigue and depression yeah. and anxieties and things like that. So it makes total sense to me. I just don't know why when they have their own scientists telling them that that they the kids work better this way, that they don't change the system. Yeah, yeah. It's coming. It's they called, will eventually. It's, it's called status quo. <laughs> Yes. Well, let's upset the status quo. I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially when it comes down to uh, the health of, of the nation or of the world or of the kids. And um, why can't they learn on their own time? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't well, know. Well, I, I think actually that that is connected to the success of homeschooling because when when I look at children that I have watched who have gone through homeschooling, often, even though they're told by schools that they won't be socialized properly if they don't enter into a, a socialized school situation, I've known a lot of kids growing up through that system that are completely balanced emotionally and socially. And because they were doing that process, that educational experience, 
at their own time, not with a strict listening to the bells go off. Right. So I, I think, I, I just think that it's, it's amazing how we have stuck to these, these totally bizarre and antiquated control systems that never really worked, but nobody's willing to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, let's make a change. We have yeah. a global population also that is struggling with being obese. Weight is a problem all over the world. And part of that is because we are conditioned and structured to eat at artificial times. You get up, you eat breakfast at a certain time, you have lunch at your lunch break at a certain time, you eat dinner at a certain time, and you get into the habit of doing it according to the clock, which is artificial, instead <laughs> of listening to your own body's needs. And therefore, people overeat and we're faced with a global obesity problem. Yeah, people, people naturally understand when to go to bed, when to eat, when to do all the things that we need to do to to nurture ourselves in many ways, not just not just nutrition. Yeah. And having having to eat at those three times every day, many people aren't really hungry because their body is satisfied with the meal before or the meal yesterday. And they eat because it's their only chance because of the way the workday is designed. And P is really right. It's a time thing. It's not an energy experience. No, you're right. And you know, the thing that's really weird about the whole school thing is that education didn't arise because we really wanted to educate our kids. It came up because business corporations wanted things to happen in a certain way. They needed educated workers or they needed workers. So really everything to do with school is about training you to go to work, to be on that schedule so that you could punch your clock and punch out when you go home. And, the, you know, up until that point when, you know, before we got into say the real industrial time, school was at home <laughs> or yep. in small school, you know, uh, places where children were being taught the same things, but not in that very regimented sort of way. And, you know, I can tell you, I homeschooled three of my four kids uh, from teenage years. So from high school, all the way through high school, and they are fine socially. They, they don't have issues socially, but what it did accommodate them is to allow them to sleep in a little bit. They did school online, so they just tapped in like they're doing now because of a virus um, and did their work and, and, you know, still hung out with friends later. And so it can work. It can work that way. And maybe COVID is, you know, the purpose is to have us take a look at our timing why it is that we feel like we have to do these things. It's artificial, it absolutely is. But I think in some ways it was brought about to prepare us to work out in the corporate world. Oh, we totally, we, we totally agree. And, and it's interesting about the socialization or the non-socialization of homeschooled mm -hmm. kids. It, it's really, there's just a really interesting thing about peer pressure in school. Peer pressure is so dominant and it's so challenging for many kids, especially yeah. sensitive kids. And homeschooled kids don't have that peer pressure. And I think that enables them to be more well-adjusted and to be more sure of who they are, not what their buddies or their girlfriends think they should be. Right, be themselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so the, the whole thing about homeschooling, it, 
it's really a pretty good program, I think. It, it's, yeah. I think it's more help, helpful than any, any defaults or any problems that it might create. Yeah, and they still had outlets to other things, you know, to sure. oh, one of my sons played soccer, so he was out on the soccer field. Uh, another one was always hanging out. He actually went to uh, college early. And so, I mean, there, there's outlets for them socially that don't have anything to do with going to school every day, where I think some of the frustration that they feel because they're fatigued or because they're tired contribute to the atmosphere of, um, you know, that that energy where people peer pressure, I think you called it and, and, and what have you. So yeah, I'm all for getting us outside of this regimented cycle of time. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a study in, I believe, Finland about school kids that P and I um, are aware of. And we learned some really interesting things about their system. They don't go to school every day, five days a week. They, they go sometimes three days a week, sometimes four days a week, but they don't go for eight hours like the American system or the British system. They go for maybe two hours on one day, four hours on another day, three hours on another day. They don't go and be caged in a room away from nature and away from other aspects of life every single day like the American system. Yeah. And the, the person that was interviewing them was asking, well, don't you forget what you're learning because you're not here every day, every day? And they said, no, we remember more because we're not given as much information. Right. And then, and then the, the moderator or the interviewer said, well, how much homework are you given? And the kids just started laughing and smiling. They said, <laughs> we have no homework in our system. We don't, we don't do anything. When we're finished with school, we go and play. Oh, and what a I concept. Just, <laughs> I just loved that. That was so, that was so oh. interesting, so heartfelt to listen to these children. That it, It's just a totally different system. And these kids are happy. These kids are smiling. They are, they're more active because they're playing out in nature most of the day instead of locked up in a building. Yeah. And, you know, partly that that system that we have here in uh, Western, probably West, most of Western civilization anyway, um, seems to want to teach kids at only one level. And that's maybe visual learners, um, the, the ones that can sit still. I, one of my sons, one of the reasons why I homeschooled him was because he's a kinetic learner. And you, you can't have a kinetic learner in a classroom because they want to bop around, go from, you know, thing to thing, touching things, you know, movement helped him learn. Um, but in a classroom situation that wasn't allowed. So he was forever in trouble because he couldn't sit still. Um, but it's not that he wasn't interested in learning, but because when he was able to get up and move, he was much more involved in his own learning than when he was being asked to sit at a desk and listen to a teacher and then sit there quietly and do paperwork or whatever it was uh, with very little of the actual movement. And of course, they only get those recesses every what a couple of hours and then for what, 10 minutes. And I, I don't know, it's there's something has to change there. I think there's some more wisdom that we need to bring uh, about timing and, and cycles to our institutions. Absolutely. In the I workplace. Well, yes, yes. I, I remember um, that 
I spent most of my time in school, public school, looking out the window. I, I wasn't really, I, I wasn't really there listening because like your son, it, it wasn't my type, it wasn't my kind of learning to, right. to sit and listen to someone lecture all day long. Th that was useless for me. I, I could read a book and get more out of that, the information I really needed to have than listening to a teacher go on and on and on and on. It, it was boring and basically a waste of time for me. And what do you learn? You would have only learned far more if you could move around. <laughs> we're, we're only we're only taught useless things that we don't really need to remember. <laughs> I, I I always have this funny conversation in my head about uh, people that do things like, I'm never going to use this math, so why do I need to learn it? Uh, and then of course you get into real life and you're like, oh wow, I really should have listened when we were doing story problems. <laughs> because life is one long math story problem. Uh, but uh, I get the, the total thing. I think in a lot of ways, you know, we have uh, tried to create um, automatons, not real human beings that, um, you know, have by their own free will, the ability to do what they need to do. And then we grow them up and we send them out into the business world. And is it any wonder we have high incidences of suicide or depression or people that are being overly medicated or, you know, dying from drug overdoses. I mean, it, it's amazing to see how all of that relates to one little calendar. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Do you have other examples of uh, cycles and time and energy? Well, uh, the, the, I think the last one, because I don't want to dominate our, our time with you, but I think the only other Please one, do. Is, <laughs> the only other one that I can think of at hand is people staying up so late and, and using artificial light. And I'm going to make a connection between artificial time, artificial calendar, and artificial light. Mm. When before the electric lights or the gas lights were invented, I guess I should reverse that gas lights first and then electric, people went to bed early because they couldn't do anything. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't really do much. Um, I mean, they had candle power, but I think it was probably pretty hard to read or, or sew or darn or do things like that in the, in the semi-darkness. People were in connection with nature. When it got dark, it was time to get quiet. When the sun came up, it was time to get going and start your day. And I think the light that, that we've invented is as dangerous or as detrimental as the clock and the calendar because people's rhythms are totally out of balance by staying up way too late and forcing themselves to get up early in the morning when they haven't had enough rest. And if you add in the addictive quality of internet, the, oh, this looks good. Oh, that took me to here. Oh, that took me to there. And the <laughs> Somebody's been up half the night following things on internet, and then the next morning when they get up to go to their artificially scheduled time, they have to be at work, they have to have six cups of coffee and a Red Bull to get them there. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then different times during the day, they're nodding off. Uh, exactly. That's right. Exactly. All Not really present to their life. All because we're completely out of harmony with nature. Yeah. You know, what's funny, too, is that I think about like... Um, my kids, 
and their kids. So I have like nine grandkids and uh, several of them go to sleep at night with a television on. And I never did that with my kids. I, I don't know, you know why that came about, but uh, I think there's something to be said too about a, an artificially lit room, even if they're falling asleep to the television, there's still that sensory uh, mm -hmm. light that's in the room or the sound that's in that room. So they're not ever really getting completely shut off um, to into the quiet. And then I think about cities when you go to sleep at night in the city. I mean, for God's sakes, it's like almost daylight out there. Mm -hmm. And what is that doing to us in terms of our cycles? Because we're still not um, getting that complete shutdown. Yeah. I mean, I do because I'm out here in the middle of God knows where, but um, I can even see, you know, from my window, the glow of, of the towns that are 15, 20 miles away. Yep, we understand. We, we have chosen basically all of our lives not to live in big cities. We have, mm -hmm. we have been able to work or, or do whatever we need to do living outside of, of not only huge cities, but even medium-sized cities. Pia and I need to be in nature as much as possible. We need to be, we need to be around trees, water, rocks, whatever, whatever the natural landscape is. Yeah. It feeds us so dramatically. We regenerate so easily when we're near nature, instead of only going to a national park once, once a year for a week. We couldn't survive like that. We have to be around nature on an everyday basis. Yeah, I know that feeling, right. And I, I kind of live out that way. So it makes it real easy for me to access that. And it, it feels, it's almost like a balancing, you know, to our energy to be out there uh, in nature. And I was just having a conversation with someone the other day. Uh, what was it we were talking about? Something something happened in her life where her her boyfriend gave her a dog and she didn't really want to have a dog she wanted to be free of that and or free you know her kids finally were off to school you know university and and he gives her a dog and she's like but I didn't want a dog and I'm looking at her energy of her chart going but you need a dog you need an <laughs> animal that's going to keep you connected to nature because mm -hmm. otherwise you're artificially uh, isolating yourself or your um, you need a pal when you go out into nature to, to actually, you know, have with you because animals, cats and dogs, no matter what, you know, kind of home animal that you have, except fish, they probably don't care. Um, but they, they have a, a more uh, solid connection to those natural cycles of time. And they will force you to take a break. My cat was just down here playing with my hand. She's like, play with me, mom, play with me. Uh, you're too serious right now. You need to, <laughs> you need to play with me. Uh, so they keep us sort of, you know, connected to that natural cycle or to uh, at least to nature in some way. Yeah, By the way, yeah. let me just say to everybody this morning, welcome. If you're just joining us today, we have Pia and Colin with us. We're talking about time versus the energy or following natural energy sources. If you have questions, please go ahead and post them in the chat. Uh, I glance at my phone periodically to see if Asa is sending me any of your questions or comments of note. Uh, anyway, back to the conversation. What else? What else can we we talk about here? <laughs> well, one thing that we talked about briefly before the show that we thought would be fun to share uh -huh. is 
fact that you're in one energetic period, we're talking about people having different rhythms and different energies. You are hosting this show in the energy today of three feeling, an Eastern energy that is very emotional, very um, connected to water, very creative, very movement oriented. But here where we are in Europe, sunset has already occurred. And as sunset happened, we moved into four devoting. So we're now in a Northern energy that's very calm, very peaceful, four energy, very foundational, very stayed, very different from where you are. And one of the things that I'd like to point out about this overall period of remembering energy is that's a very good example of looking at opposites. Here we are having this delightful conversation. You're in an energy of three, which is all about movement. We're in a universal energy of four, which is all about being still, stability, foundation. Uh -huh. And here's a conversation going that's very grounded, very nature-based, and full of movement for future orientation. It's just great. It's a, it's We've a, combined the best. <laughs> it's, a pure, it's a pure example of the wonderfulness of duality and opposites. Where what Pia is explaining is is really really interesting to me because we're energetically we're in two completely different states, and yet that's bringing out the best in all of us because we're able to utilize the different energies, put them together, and it makes a better whole. It makes a better connection. It makes a better unified field of of sharing and, and yeah. having a, a wonderful experience by sharing all of these ideas that are different, but bringing us closer together. And that's what remembering energy is all about. Being able to find the balance point between con seeming contradictions. We seem to have opposites. We appear that they're opposites, but finding that balance part where we bring them together in unity. And we've got that overlighting energy of remembering for up until uh, the 9th of March. It's lasting. It changes on the 9th of March. So yeah. this uh, is And you know, I'm too, too remembering. That's my, that's my birth yeah. sign. That's so, your energy. Yeah. So, so I've got the whole duality thing going. This is your 13 days, Janet. <laughs> this is actually an auspicious period for you directly. Mm, I like that's that. That's the thing about the calendar is being able to harmonize your own energies with the energies that are present globally. If you've got the calendar, you could look up and see what the energies are and you know what your own energy is. Having yeah. looked it up, it's really easy to look and say, okay, this is a great period for me. That thing I've been putting off, I'm going to do it now. You know, uh, in the beginning of the show that we were talking about how people are reliving some things coming up from the past and, mm -hmm. and what have you. Well, some people are reliving it through their dreams, as we said, some people are actually having like things come back to them at them that they've, you know, thought that they were done with. But I noticed for me this particular week, what's come back up um, isn't so much an experience from the past, but a hole that I left from something that I was learning about myself. And I dove right into that and found some interesting things about my own life and my own energy. So I'm wondering too, if this time period of remembering helps us to focus on where those holes might be, brings us into those things that we've, you know, got to patch back up or maybe not even that, that's not quite the right words, but to, to go deeper into. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And, and in doing this, 
it takes a, a tremendous amount of courage to actually either revisit something we thought was finished, or as Pia said a few moments ago, see it as a, a new opportunity, see it as something that, that we can look at. And you said it too, both of you actually made, this, made the same case, the same understanding. Maybe it's coming back up so that we can do a better job or a different job at understanding it. And finally, finally finishing that aspect of our outer personality. So Ooh, it, yeah. it's, it's a great time actually to, to what Larkma uses the term re-remember. And it's a, it's a beautiful time to re-remember what we're doing and who we are. And I, I think we can make huge gains and huge mm. movement by doing this at this point in our lives. And, and because we mentioned before we were on the air that this is happening to many, many people worldwide, it's an excellent opportunity for people to do this kind of work. And by doing this kind of work, it has the potential, the possibility of actually changing the world. Ooh, and here we are too, you know, in the run up to the full moon, which is always a time of completion or of remembering of closure of endings of revelation, like the light turns on um, that the, so we can maybe, you know, maybe that's also feeding into uh, some of the things and interesting because the sun is in Pisces, a very highly spiritual sign. The uh, moon is in Virgo, a very grounded energy. Uh, you know, simultaneously lighting up both the spirit and the, the human, the physical. Doesn't the Virgo moon also bring forth organization and healing? Yes, because it can indeed. Yeah. Purifying. Can at, it seems like we could look at this remembering energy combined with this Virgo full moon also as being a time of another way to put the opposites together and heal anything that still is in the way. Yeah, so now help me figure this out. So tomorrow morning is the full moon at 12, 17 a.m. my time. So in Europe, that's going to be what, about eight something in the morning? Well, it'd be where we are, it would be 10, 17 our time. Yeah, we're 10, we're 10 hours, we're 10 ahead, hours of you. ahead of you. Okay, so you're actually, you're, so you won't even be in four devoting energy anymore. No, we will. Four devoting started today at sunset. And it oh, will and, and okay, until, gotcha. Until tomorrow at sunset. So we will be a devoting energy tomorrow. Gotcha. Okay. When fall moon comes up, we'll be right there in the devoting energy. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so for devoting, oh, I know what else I was going to ask you guys about. So I noticed going into March because I start, I do, you know, a webinar at the end of the month um, where we're looking at the next month. So we were looking ahead at March and I noticed we are changing Venus energies in March. Absolutely. That is a really big change too. Yeah. Venus changes every nine and a half months, just like a human gestation period, nine and a half months. <clears throat> so when it changes next go round, we're moving out of Gemini, which is talk, 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 talk about all the problems, all the difficulties. Nobody <laughs> does anything. We're just talking about it continually, which frankly, I'm kind of tired of. <laughs> but when we get to the... <laughs> Aries, when Venus star point moves into Aries on the 25th, we move into action. And I'm yeah. excited. About do, 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 do. 
oh boy, take action. We can yeah. do something. We can stand up and say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. We can say, I want to do it a different way. But Venus and Aries is all about redefining yourself, redefining the world, redefining and going forward to something different. So I'm really looking forward to this shift. Now, this shift, though, is like I was born with an Aries, whatever you call this, Venus point, but Venus in, with, with the morning Venus, this will be an evening Venus or the, you know, her Venus, which means it'll be a little bit softer, a little bit more receptive to we've been listening to all this Gemini stuff and we've been receiving it. Now, how do we want to act on it? So it'll be it'll be action oriented, but with a receptive ear, which I think is a beautiful combination for moving forward. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And so that's happening one day before we go into the next Venus phase change, which I thought was transmutation. Is that the next one? The That's right. Let me check. Yeah, I believe so. I think yeah. you're right. So I think that means that maybe we are, you know, walking into a time period where some of these things that seem to have been stuck to us like glue, uh, where we couldn't actually take any action on anything is about ready to shift. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. Yep. Maybe that's why we also are dealing with the clearing through remembering and so forth that that's preparing that's us for the next action step, even though that's, you know, a couple of cycles away in terms of the, the calendar. Uh, in fact, that Venus change happens under one exploring as the overtone or overlighting energy. Which is perfect. It's that, that's, that's perfect. Moving I into think so. exploring is an Eastern energy. Uh -huh. And Eastern energies are all about new beginnings. Uh -huh. And Venus and Aries is about starting over. And it's, it's great. It's, it's, actually, it's, it's actually a very auspicious connection of, of energies and timing. And I, and I know I'm using the word timing. I, I don't really mean timing calendar-wise, but energetically, those things all coming together. Interesting synchronicities. Okay, that's good. That's good. I love synchronicities. <laughs> so this this is a very special, this will be a special moment. And when I used the word courage earlier, this is the time to bring the courage forward. Yes. To make, to make the changes to 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 be absolutely dedicated to moving on, to letting go of things that don't work and moving towards things that are much, much more harmonic and much more, I guess, unified. Well, yeah, beautiful, right? All of that coming together in a synchronicity. We can just use all these fun words to describe all of this. <laughs> I love it. It's not a coincidental synchronicity. The universe right. has it orchestrated beautifully. And for all those people that are out there going, when is somebody going to help us? I'm here to say they are. You know, this is a synchronistic organized occurrence that we can either be blind to and stumble through, or we can take our own power back and take action and move through it using mm. the energies that are present. You know, what's funny, there's this word that just keeps beating at me in a positive way. <laughs> That's an unfortunate word, but the word is possibilities. And it was the word I chose that is going to be the model for me for the year. And 
I think what that Gemini, you know, Venus star has really given us is the curiosity where, you know, the sharing of ideas and being inspired and the chatting is all about um, creating a pathway for possibilities. Now, then we can actually look at all those possibilities and choose to act on something. I so think that's probably really positive. Your word that you've chosen for the year uh -huh. in coordination with our word that we're using for the year makes this possible. We call this year the year of revolution. And if we don't revolt in a positive way, if we don't say no to this and yes to what we want to call in, we're not opening the door to the possibilities that you're sitting there explaining are coming. So we shake hands with our our, um, <laughs> our keywords. Yeah. Um, I have a question from the audience if you're open to that. Um, yeah. This is from JLo. She heard that there will be a portal alignment for the Pleiadians. Can you give, please give us a little information on it? The Pleiades are closest to Earth on um, around May 17th and November 17th, twice a year. So yes, there is a portal that comes that's closest when Pleiades are, the star system is closest to Earth. There's a three-day period. I think it's 15, 16, and 17 mm -hmm. of May and 15, 16, 17 of November. And it's an energetic portal. So I don't know how to explain it, except to say that Cullen's in my experience of that is that we always feel the presence of the Pleiadians much more strongly. It feels like it's a period of time when there is more possibility, more, more openings for us, but that's not coming until May. We've got a little ways to go before that. Yeah, so JLo, does that answer your question? Let Asa know and then Asa let me know. Um, it's interesting because May is always seemingly a month where there's a lot of, uh, can I say supernatural for lack of a better word or extraterrestrial type energy that's available. Um, a lot of the uh, UFO kind of contact issues happen during May. Um, it, we also have, you know, we sack celebrations, which are all about the Buddha and presence and, and uh, uh, there's just other things like some of the most major earthquakes happen during May, like it's like this time of, of waking up. And maybe it's just a time where we're more, maybe our energetic portal or sheath is a little more open. I think that makes excellent sense. And also this time in May during that Pleiadian lineup, mm -hmm. it comes in the energy of moving. Ah. Perfect. That again is an Eastern energy of new beginnings and movement, movement, movement. So if there's a portal open and if it opens up resonantly enough with us, we'll jump through. <laughs> uh, you know what's all what else is interesting is that is just before uh, the uh the first eclipse of 2021 as well uh, yes. i want to say it's may 26th uh something it, like that or 29th let's look at may it's 26th. It's the 26th the 26th yeah so uh on self-regulating oh my gosh oh my gosh that's pretty big so opening up our own energetic sheath allowing us to be penetrated by cosmic forces or to see ourselves more clearly break cracking open our our hard shells that we have around us to receive uh incoming energies i think that makes that a pretty powerful time period and three days after that on 4b we move into the collective shadow cycle for this year and that means mercury's in retrograde during that shadow cycle too 
which yep. means which means it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be really interesting. I'm getting chills, right? That's that's <laughs> happening right around my actual birthday, even. Um, so, hmm, a big year. In fact, I I was telling someone just the other day that uh, I was doing a reading for them. And it seems like this year has these punctuation points, whether it's an exclamation point or a period, it doesn't really matter uh, because we, we had this energy that was really from about December 21st to uh, through the end, say February 20th or so, maybe even through, we'll, we'll extend it through the end of February, followed by March, which is a much quieter period of time, more introspective, more mm -hmm. internalized energy preparing us because then we get to April. And once we bust into April, particularly from mid-April into uh, the middle of July, it's another one of those go periods <laughs> where we're just going, going, going. So we really need March energy to help us, even though there are some, you know, big, bigger changes going on in March to help us see ourselves more clearly, to be prepared well, for some of the bigger things coming. Yes. Yeah, maybe maybe March will be a stabilizing mm, yes. energy or stabilizing time for us in between all of the, the more disruptive or highly <laughs> energetic experiences. Yeah, and when we're talking about that high energy, as we move into Taurus this year, um, the planets, the Sun, Venus, Mercury, and uh, Black Moon Lilith are all in the sign of Taurus, crossing over the sign, uh, crossing over Uranus, the Great Awakener, the Great Liberator. So it is, um, it's energy that's sort of teeming with electricity and mm -hmm unexpectedness so be prepared everybody who knows what may happen it may be really awesome good stuff too i don't mean to make it sound like it's you know more tragedies or anything like that with uranus we get the unexpected but what we get is something that's chosen to liberate us in some way yeah. and, and that and that is precisely where the possibilities become available to us mm -hmm. Right, possibilities, my favorite word this year. It just seems even in human design, all of the, the gates that Saturn and Jupiter in particular, these are where I'm really getting the biggest themes. They're going through areas of our um, energy that require us to open up to possibilities. Otherwise, we fall into Plutoan psycho psychosis. <laughs> and we've been there. We really don't need to go there anymore. We need to go somewhere else, somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we get that. So in the remaining time, can you share what yes. you talk about? Yes, I can. In fact, luckily, we had extra time today because the biggest news for the weekend is literally the full moon tomorrow. And I'm, I'm going to share my screen here with a couple of graphics that uh, if you don't share the screen that way, we do it this way. Uh, that give us an idea of what is happening with the moon tomorrow. So it's the February full moon. Uh, my husband told me it was called the snow moon. I've never heard that, but um, I'll go with that. He heard that on the radio somewhere. And in February, the moon for us this time is at nine degrees, almost nine degrees of Virgo with the sun at almost nine degrees of Pisces. And here are the times where that happens tomorrow at 12, 17 a.m. for me here on the West Coast, uh, 3, 17 a.m. for those of you on the East Coast of the U.S. 
and then over in Europe, at least universal time, 8.17 a.m. You guys said you were two hours beyond that, so 10.17 a.m. for you all uh, tomorrow morning. Now the theme, there's a theme of every moon and where I get these themes is from the most interesting book I think I have on my bookshelf. It is called The Astrological Mandala and it was written by Dane Rudyar who was a very uh, mythological, cosmological sort of uh, astrologer. I don't know that he would like me using those words, but um, to me when he talks about themes and so forth, he's bringing them in from uh, of, of the storytelling point of view, right? Not just concrete, sequential, logical thinking. It's about the story of what it is that we're experiencing. And I think if he was alive right now to see your calendar, he would absolutely agree that um, this is more aligned with the mythic human than <laughs> our Gregorian calendar. Uh, the theme then for this particular moon is about transcending the mind and finding mass mastery through tr your difficulties. So when life presents you with challenges, how do you, uh, how do you move through that? What is the story that you're telling yourself about the fact that this particular thing is happening to you? Is it a story of um, disempowerment? Is it a story of disappointment? Is it a story of I'm powerless to do anything? Or can you tweak your story? This is the opportunity that we have to tweak the story to be able to include possibilities and the uh, potential of, yes, I experienced this challenge. And I'm going to change the way that I talk about challenges. I'm going to see this as an opportunity uh, to find myself more deeply or to learn something more about how the universe works. Whatever it is, you have the power to change the story. That is the message in this particular full moon. The moon's closest aspects give us an idea of how relatively easy or difficult that might be for us on a soul level or on an emotional level. The moon's closest aspects are uh, a mixed bag, if you will. There's an inconjunct to Saturn in Aquarius. That might mean some letting go of your, your, your cherished beliefs or of things that you always thought were the way the world works in order to establish a more spiritual foundation which Saturn and Aquarius has got an eye to the future. So our future depends on our being able to accommodate possibility thinking instead of those uh, absolute types of things that we think about. There's also a trine to Uranus, a trine is a 120 degree angle. That means they're in like elements. The moon is in Virgo Earth and Uranus is in Taurus Earth. So they work well together. The energies flow to create possibly a pathway forward to something new, something more solid, something that's more real than what we have been living in. And then there's also an inconjunct from the moon to Chiron. Chiron, as you know, is the path of the wounded healer. So depending on where you are personally in your Chiron cycle, meaning are you 52 and younger or are you 50 plus, um, you may experience this moon in a, a different way from each other. Younger, probably as a part of the wounding cycle and older, probably a part of the healing cycle. Altogether, it is all about the healing. Even the wounding is about the healing as it calls to us the place where we are uh, not healed whole and healthy. So 
we have that aspect and a minor square to Eris, which can, yeah, you know, she's just a little bit disruptive. She brings up to mind where we are um, still marginalizing either parts of ourself or people in uh, our societies. And she does not like to be marginalized. And so she's calling us to become more inclusive um, and include everyone in our, um, in our lives. Now the sun being the light is also um, showing us things that we can change in our outer dynamic. Moon is the inner, sun is the outer. And the sun's closest aspects are all pretty mild. They're, they're what we would call minor aspects uh, with exception being the sextile to Uranus, which is a, a another call for us to make changes, right? This is a, maybe a closing chapter to something that includes a beginning. So we're, we're seeing how we're able to transcend, transmute, change during this particular moon. He's also uh, involved with Saturn and Chiron and Eris, but in very minor ways. So it almost makes it sound to me as I looked at this, that the biggest change is possible, the biggest letting go completion is something that has to do with our internal uh, atmosphere, the things that, um, that were being shown in our daily lives during this period of time might be where it is we need to become more spiritual, more embodied with our natural uh, divinity, that type of thing. So it's a powerful full moon. Uh, but I don't think I don't see this one as one that can be uh, categorized as negative or, you know, like, watch out. <laughs> Even though Uranus is involved, I think Uranus is involved in a very good way in this particular time. Uh, let's take a look at the chart really quickly because that chart there is too small. Let me stop sharing here and uh, open up the next one so everybody can see what an actual astrology chart looks like. Share. Here we go. And I'm going to make it a little bit bigger if I can. Oh, that's not the one. There we go. Poof. Here we go. So when we're looking at an actual astrology chart, what you're seeing is the placement of the planets at the moment of the full moon. The moon will be at eight degrees, 57 minutes, like a bullet burn of nine degrees of Virgo all by herself, right? She's up there all by herself in Virgo where the most of the planets are down here in astrology. We kind of call this a bucket pattern where there is an important planet that's holding the handle of the bucket while at the bottom is like where the water or the contents of the bucket would be. So the sun basically anchoring the center of the bottom of the bucket with the moon anchoring the handle of the bucket. That what it, that is to say is the most important point is, is the balance that the moon is holding. So this is another indication that we have that there's an emotional shift or an inner dynamic shift for this moon. Sometimes it's really good to be able to see it in the, its graphicness. Uh, of what's happening. And all of this down here looks like a mess. All of these are just lines that represent the re relationship between the planets in the bucket. And some of them are chaotic, as you can see from the more red lines. Some of them are really positive, as you can see uh, from the blue lines. All in all, uh, what really needs to be paid attention to is grounding in Virgo energy with the moon. Hey, I just realized that moon is at the exact position of my own natal moon. Huh. So hmm, no wonder I can speak to this uh, because 
grounding in the physical is one thing, but you're not just a physical being, right? You're also a divine being, a spiritual being inhabiting what animates your body is spirit. And uh, if you are ignoring that half of you, then you're missing out on the wholeness that you can be. So this particular moon bringing us to that wholeness and likely bringing us to that wholeness by showing us the holes where we're not whole, <laughs> holes, H-O-L-E-S versus whole, W-H-O-L-E. So our opportunity is to let go of all those things, plug up some of those holes and really become the, the, the spirit that's inhabiting the physical body of you. All right, that's it for me. How do you, any questions? How are you guys doing over there? Asa. I'm just checking to make sure there's no other questions. Why is my phone doing this? Uh, nope. Okay, no other questions. So much love to all of you. Thank you for tuning in with us this morning. Colin and Pia, thank you so much for being here uh, and accommodating my flexibility or being flexible to my crazy chaotic husband uh, from last week. And it looks like we're due to be together again on March 19th. And we can maybe talk more about the Venus uh, point that's coming up and get to, you know, a better read on what to expect. Sounds good. All right. Everybody take care. Have a great weekend. See you all on Monday. Have a happy full moon. Bye now. Thank you, Pia and Colin. Thank you, Asa, Thank you. out there in the background.